The Teaching with Soul podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is created, the Wajak Noongar people. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all First Nations people listening today. Hello beautiful teacher and welcome to Teaching with Soul a podcast for heart-led teachers just like you who know there's more to life than seating plans, test scores and behaviour management. This is your space to come back to you. We explore topics like mindfulness, self-care, spirituality, social justice, shifting your beliefs, true rest and so much more. And all through the lens of being a teacher. Because let's be honest, nobody truly understands this industry like we do. This isn't professional development, it's personal development. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, wellness coach for teachers, and I'm so grateful to share this space with you each week. So, take a deep breath, pour yourself a cuppa, and let's dive in. Today's interview is a beautifully vulnerable and much needed conversation on all things grief with the amazing Katrina Price-Lowella. Now, just a trigger warning to begin this episode that within this episode, Katrina and I mentioned topics that may be triggering to some listeners, including death, suicide, cancer, and pregnancy loss. Please exercise discretion as you tune in. Katrina is a grief and loss expert, educator, and advocate. Through interactive workshops and storytelling, Katrina creates a space for all forms of grief to be seen, heard, and acknowledged. By proactively exploring the spectrum of emotions, we are better able to understand a response we will all experience in our lifetime, grief. In this episode, Katrina and I speak about Katrina's experience with grief from losing her mother at 15 and suppressing her feelings to now working as a grief educator, why grief is often a taboo discussion topic in society, even though it is something everyone experiences, how teachers can support themselves through grief, as well as how they can support their students, an honest discussion around our predictions of what happens when we die, the training that Katrina believes should be mandatory professional development for teachers, what anticipatory grief is and how it differs from our traditional perspective of grief, and why joy isn't the opposite of grief, and how feeling joy can actually be an important part of the grieving process, plus so much more. You can find all of the resources that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes, as well as finding out more about Katrina and her work at the links. Let's dive in. Okay, Katrina, welcome to the Teaching with Soul podcast. Hi, nice to be here. I'm really excited to see what we talk about today. Me too. I'm sure, as we said before we started recording, it's going to be a journey. Um, I can already predict that. But yeah, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I know, um, you know, to get you on the podcast, it's already been a journey. So I'm so thankful that we're here. And I I know this conversation is going to um, support a lot of teachers. So Let's get into it. For people who don't know you, you are a grief educator. Um, and I'm sure just even hearing that term, people are going to be like, what? <laughs> She's a what? <laughs> um, so can you take us on a little journey of how you got to be doing the work that you're doing, how you got to be a grief educator? Like what got you to this place? Oh, big question. Big question. I'll give the brief version. Um, so When I was 15 in 2010, my mom died from cancer. And uh, as you can imagine that for a teenager, when you kind of expect your parents to be invincible, it was a very big shock for me. And um, it really set me apart from my peers, or at least I felt like it did. Um, I didn't have any friends around me that had lost a parent. I was very confused. I didn't understand grief. I'd never had that conversation around what it is, how it impacts you. So I spent the next eight years of my life in this very confused state, um, very angry. And I 
hated that I had grief and that I was grieving and that I felt these emotions, but I didn't necessarily associate them with grief itself. So I just thought that I was different to everybody else. I was broken. And so I tried to manage that through partying a little bit too much, um, going out a little bit too much. So everything that you do as a teenager was kind of amplified in my world. Um, and then I got to the probably about the age of 21 and um that's where it kind of really came to a head so I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and I um made an attempt on my own life um I then kind of started to get better um and then after some time again um due to other life circumstances I kind of Fell, fell back down the rabbit hole. Drinking again, going out too much, still didn't really understand my grief. And even with therapy, it's not something that I had touched on. Um, I kind of found other things to talk about to sort of avoid it. I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. So um, fast forward then to when I was 23 and my sister gave birth prematurely to, to, twi to her twins um, at 15 weeks pregnant and um, five days after giving birth to my nephew, uh, my nephew he passed away so um, for me that was kind of like a big shock because I was able to see my sister there who had such contrasting emotions of over the moon joy joyful because she had um, my niece Lily who was not healthy but still alive and still fighting strong and she just become a mother but then also the grief of losing her son and that really kind of brought to home, home to me the polarity of our emotions and that we can experience multiple emotions at once um, and I started to look at grief differently and I also saw how society treated my sister and I didn't like it and it didn't sit well with me so from there I started um, talking a lot more with my family and friends and my network about grief and also opening up to my own grief a lot more um, and um, I kind of became the go-to person in my own network to talk about grief and loss um, and as I got older more friends started to lose people around them and they would always come to me. Um, 2019 I was made redundant due to Covid and I decided I actually really want to give other people the opportunity to share their stories because quite often in grief our voices are silenced and we don't feel able for whatever reason to share what we're feeling. So I started a podcast and that podcast kind of led over the last three years to um, building a business. So I do um, public speaking now, I um, do workshops. And one of those things that I do is going to schools and I work with both the children in the schools and also the teachers to empower them to understand what grief is, to support each other and support themselves, and also educate and advocate for the fact that grief isn't just when a person dies, Grief is for any significant loss. So, you know, if you've got teenagers going through the transition of changing schools or going from school to university, that in itself is a grieving process. A lot of young people experience grief and don't even recognize that's what it is. And I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want other young people to experience what I did and have to wait eight years to figure it all out. So that's kind of how I've got to where I am today. Lived experience. I've got a lot of training in this area. I've worked with multiple charities um, and had training. I'm currently completing my diploma of grief counselling as well. Um, and but my biggest qualification is my lived experience, really. So that's a snippet of, of how I got to where I am now. <laughs> Wow. Thank you so much for sharing, as you said, your lived experience, because, um, yeah, the depths of what you'd what you have experienced might be confronting for some people. And I'm sure they're listening and thinking, wow, how is she sharing so openly? Like, and honestly, when that was, you know, there are quite heavy topics in what you've just spoken about in your lived experience. So you touched on it briefly, but how did you get from not wanting to speak about it at all in yeah. therapy sessions and just talking about other things to work your way around it to the way that you've just shared now in such like a vulnerable way, but not, not at the point where, you know, you're uh, nervous to speak about it. How did you get from point A to point B? Uh, time. 
patience and compassion for myself. I, I, it really started because I had hit rock bottom. So I, at the same time with my sister um, and everything happening with her, I had a second suicide attempt. And, you know, at this point I was kind of forced to have help and forced to talk about it. Um, and I kind of wasn't given a choice. So I had to talk about it. Um, and the more I talked about it, although it was uncomfortable, I realized it actually made me feel lighter. And um, one of the biggest things that I had been battling with was that I felt guilty for feeling happy. And that's often what led to me having these destructive patterns and behaviors because I was almost punishing myself for what I was feeling. And once I learned that grief and joy can live together, coexist together, that's when it came easier for me to speak about it. And the more I spoke about it, I saw how that opened the door for other people to talk about it. And I think that's what's driven me is actually, I feel comfortable talking about it now because a, it's my experience and it's valid and I should be able to share that. And B, I see the help that it gives for others. And that's that's what pushes me because I don't want anybody else to feel the way that I did for so long. Um, but some days, you know, some days I talk about it and I do crumble. Some days it's not as easy as others. And some people I don't feel comfortable being vulnerable with. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's about accepting that in yourself and having that compassion for yourself to know that it's your experience you get to honor it and decide how you want those boundaries to stand and um yeah it's taken me a long time 12 years down the line since my mom died so it's taken me a while <laughs> yeah amazing I love that time patience self-compassion and you also mentioned boundaries in the way that you know who you feel comfortable speaking to and you know who you don't and they don't you don't owe them anything you don't need to over explain but there are those people that you feel comfortable with so I think that's so important you spoke about your mum as well and it being 15 years? 12. 12 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know one of the things that I've seen you speak a lot about on social media is, you know, the not hiding away and not making it taboo to speak about. And one of the things you always suggest is asking about the person or their person, whoever it is, or people. So in, in bringing this up, what was your mum like? Can you tell us about her? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, she was she was a very strong woman. She was very strong in her beliefs, her values, um, but she was very welcoming. So we would always have the naughty kids at our house. So you know the kids that no parents wanted their children to be friends with. My mum would invite them round. We always were friends with those. My mum would always stick up for the naughty kids. And um, so she very much welcomed those who were seen as outcasts from like the rest of the community or society. Um, she was very creative, an incredible baker. Um, I do miss her baking a lot. Um, but yeah, she was also very strict and stern. She's, she was German and she kind of had that like typical um, German nature about her where she could seem quite sharp. Um, she was funny. Um, yeah, she just, she, and she never sort of held anything against us. I remember the first time I came home and I was drunk and she kind of was just like, the next day I was feeling really sorry for myself. And she's like, well, it was your own fault. Like she, she didn't, she didn't, but she also then went and got me some paracetamol and a cup of tea and made sure I was okay. But I never felt uncomfortable talking to her about things. Um, yeah, she was, she was wonderful. Always put other people before herself and was smiling right until the very end. Wow. Beautiful. And I know that you've ha had a recent passing as well. You're Opa. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah. Opa. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard one. People say it differently. So. Mm. <laughs> um, are you open to sharing about him? And yeah. Yeah. So my Opa was my mum's dad. Um, my only remaining grandparent. He lived in Germany. He has been, um, he's had quite a hard life. So teenager through the war um and he again it was quite hard so because of the language barrier so I actually was by the time my mom had had me she already had two other children and keeping that language um teaching us the language was quite hard when you've got lots of English people running around and then you're trying to speak to German to your children so there was always a bit of a language barrier between me and my opa but we you seem to have that like silent understanding and he lost both 
um, his first wife and his second wife and his daughter. And then he had a stroke and lost his voice six years ago. But he never, and then he also had stomach cancer and he never gave up. He was still playing squash at like 90 years old. He was just one of those men that really just grabbed life by the balls and just did it and just got on with it. Um, and everybody in his little town knew him. He was, again, he was very similar to my mom, very strong in his beliefs, but also very warm to others and accepting of others. So he never sort of forced his values and beliefs onto other people. Um, and again, until the very end, stood by his beliefs and values. And yeah, he's, he's really, he's, he's inspired me in many ways, um, but it's hard to explain. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing about both of those people. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it would be hard to have a conversation about grief and not really talk about the people that we're grieving. So I think that's so beautiful to share. You spoke a little bit about um, how your mum would accept, accept and invite over and embrace um you know, the kids that society would normally be like, oh, you know, you don't want to hang out with them or that's the bad crowd. So speaking of society, you know, death and grief, and we know those two aren't hand in hand. We can grieve in different ways and other things that aren't death, but death in particular seems to be a taboo topic, which is really strange because it's pretty much the most common thing that happens in society and not just with humans, but with everything. Um, you know, it's everywhere. <laughs> so for it to be taboo is interesting. Why do you think that is? Because we're scared of the unknown. We don't know what happens. And we are, as people, we like to um, have answers and we like to have logic behind things. And with death, there's not always logic. It's not something we can control. It's just something that happens. And not only that, it's when somebody is upset. So people are uncomfortable with grief I think because they want to be able to fix people's emotions and with grief it's just not something you can do so they're constantly trying to force people to feel better before they do or to feel an emotion that they don't feel or just sort of push past it and get on with it and forget about it because they feel uncomfortable with somebody sitting in sadness and they don't know how to respond to that so I think it's discomfort fear of the unknown um, and lack of control mm -hmm. Which makes sense. It makes total sense, especially when even things as small as, you know, when children cry and adults are uncomfortable or it's not, they're, they're dealing with too much, that alone can just be pushed down. And so something as big as grieving and the unknown, it makes total sense. So the fact that death, you know, that it is so unknown, I'm so curious, what do you believe happens when we die? I'm not actually sure I 100% know. I, for me, I think that I don't actually know. I don't have in my mind that there's a thought that they go to heaven or hell or that there's their energy lives on. I'm not sure. I just know that somehow I still feel those people with me, whether that's in my memories and um, in objects that I have or whether it's that they physically are there somewhere. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And I don't know that we need to know either. I think whatever brings people comfort and whatever allows them to feel close and able to remember that person, then that's true. I don't think there's right or wrong. I don't know, I struggle with that. <laughs> that's a really good question. Yeah, and of course there's no right or wrong answer because none of us know, <laughs> um, but... I think that's the perfect point there in whatever brings you comfort. Um, and that might change one month. You might believe one thing and then it feels more comfortable and reassuring to believe something else. Um, you believe. Yeah. What do I believe? I, it's the same thing in that it, it will change in that sometimes I'll hear or read about what somebody else believes. And I'm like, that's beautiful. I believe that too. Maybe it's that, we're all energy and then we go back to that energy, but we're not in physical form, but we're still experiencing that seems beautiful and comforting. And then other times it might be, it's just nothing. And that's also weirdly comforting in a way. So yeah, my belief shift and change. I don't, I don't have a hard and fast, you know, thought of 
what it might be like, but yeah, it's so interesting to explore because especially if grief is present, uh, you want to be comforted by the fact that your person or your people are okay wherever they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask too, you spoke about that you work with schools and students and teachers, and obviously this is the Teaching with Soul podcast, so there are a lot of teachers tuning in. Um, you spoke uh, spoke about grief not being linked um, with death all the time, and so some of the um, ways I've experienced grief showing up with clients, the main two ways are grief of the job not being what they envisioned. So, you know, maybe as a child, they've always wanted to be a teacher. They go through their four years of training or however many years, and then they get into the job and it's nothing like what they thought. And so there's this grief of what they envision their life being and then what it is. And then also the grief of feeling helpless when they're witnessing their students go through massive transitions or big life events outside of school that they cannot change, they cannot help them with. There's nothing that they can do to change the situation. And there's a lot of grief there because they just have to witness their students going through this. Is that, um, are they some of the types of things that you see when you work with schools? Yeah, definitely. Definitely that expectation one is a big one as well. I've got quite a few teacher friends and I know that for them it has been a real struggle to come to the realization that what they expected isn't at all what what the job is and then the job is constantly changing so their expectation of what they're meant to do is constantly changing and what they can do for um their students is constantly changing so definitely that i would say also things like um not knowing how to support a student's grief in the classroom how do they do that individually how do they do it in the classroom or as a whole school um, especially when you've got different cultures and beliefs that all mix in there so that's a big one um, that I come across and also grief with students with additional needs as well do we approach it the same do we approach it differently um, and also at what point do we hand over and refer on to another professional that might be better able to deal with it so they're kind of like the main ones that, that come up And how would you, let's say you brought up the example of um, there being a student in the classroom that's going through grief and teachers wanting to support them as best they can. Let's, let's, okay, there's two situations here I'd want to ask about, like your advice. So say it was a teacher themselves who may be experiencing grief, but then having to come to school Mm -hmm. and teach students and obviously not, um, there's this weird mask that teachers obviously have to put on sometimes because it's not for their students. Their students may be four years old. And so it's not for their students to hold them in that grief and pick them up. And, you know, that they're not capable of that, nor should they have to be. Um, So it's almost like this, I have to turn that off until I'm back home, which is that can cause grief in itself because you're not being who you are. But then also, as you said, teachers having to support students when they're grieving. So in those situations, what kind of, I don't even know if it's advice. I mean, you may have advice, but how would you support teachers through that? So the first one being um, maybe a teacher that's grieving themselves. So it's interesting you bring this up because today I was with my friend who works at kindergarten and she has just lost her mom. Both of her parents have now died. And the children kept asking what was wrong because she had had time off. She was trying to keep a mask, but children are very intuitive and they're not stupid. They can tell when a person is not fully being true and um if there's something sort of behind the mask there so she ended up just being very honest with them and had a very frank conversation and I think it's about being aware of your audience and it's okay to show children emotion it's okay to be honest with them and say um you know I'm even if they are four years old I am feeling upset today um because my mum died And they will ask questions. And as long as you're using age appropriate language, then do that, have that conversation with them because it's actually really important for them to know about 
grief and death because they're going to experience it themselves maybe they're going to lose a grandparent or a parent or a sibling or whoever it is in their community perhaps a pet even and that can be a really nice way to introduce the conversation if if you yourself are experiencing grief and you feel like it's impacting you in the classroom start the conversation around when a pet dies how might you feel and get the children to think about those emotions um so that you can have that sort of honest but age-appropriate conversation with them. I don't think you need to hide it. Um, of course, don't go in and sort of lean on them and expect them to give you that um, that support in that way, but it's okay to let them know. Because if you can show them that you have those emotions, it shows them that it's okay for them to have them as well. So that would be my first thing to say. Um, and the second one is supporting a child in the classroom. It's There's a lot of, I mean, there's, I guess there's a lot of answers to this one because it just depends on circumstance. And I think it's hard because there's a lot of things you can do. <laughs> there's a lot of things you can do. Um, and can you give me like a specific scenario, maybe? Well, I'll just, I, now that we've brought this up, I'm remembering on my final placement when I was at university, I was at a school, it was pre-primary, um, which, you know, the for people around the country, that's the first year before year one. It's called kindy and different things in other states. Um, and one of the students in the class, her dad died while I was on the placement. And the teacher, it was the most beautiful example I could have had of how to deal with it because obviously I was still training. I did not know what to do with that. Um, it was upsetting for me, even though I didn't really know this parent that well, I'd spoken to him a couple of times. Um, but the teacher got the student well, asked if she was comfortable with doing news about her dad and sharing about her dad. So she brought in all of these photos and she was sharing and she spoke to the class and they were about five. And so they kind of had an understanding. They were asking questions about the dad. It was really lovely. And the mentor teacher and I were sitting there crying, but oh. the kids were like, okay, well, we're just doing news and this is this has just happened and we're just going to ask. And what did he like? What was his favorite food? And, you know, all of those sorts of things that kids ask. But I think it was a beautiful example. And, and the kids were allowed to keep asking questions and were allowed to keep talking about it. But it was consensual with the child and her mother as well of what they were open to. Um, yeah, I just remembered that. And I think that was really beautiful. But have you seen any other ways that teachers have supported grieving students like that yeah similar really is um first of all the consent from the family is really important and making sure they're comfortable with it being shared and that child is comfortable with it being shared but just giving them the opportunity to speak about it don't be afraid to ask don't be afraid to bring it up because quite often people stay silent or teachers will stay silent I know my own experiences, my teachers just didn't bring it up to me. And then you get all these hallmark holidays, right? So Mother's Day would come around and you'd be doing all these activities and you forget about that child. And your first instinct is to assume they don't want to do anything and just give them a different activity or take them out of the classroom. Ask them. They might still want to make a card for that person. They might still want to share something. So it's about including them and giving them the power so they get to choose what is shared, what is not shared. Um, that that is such a beautiful example I think because especially with that age range they are very matter of fact and they probably whilst they have probably heard of death they maybe don't understand the the fact that it's um forever so they will just ask questions and they'll be really curious and that's a great opportunity not just for the um for the individual who's lost the parent to speak and share and to find a way of processing it themselves but also it gives the classroom the opportunity to learn more about it and understand and, and be curious because I think we shy away from the topic so often they don't get the opportunity to. Um, and also learn about different beliefs and you know if, if they've got a certain culture where they do things when a person dies and they can learn about that as well. So just opening up the conversation, asking questions and don't exclude them. Never assume anything, like always give the power to that individual. Yeah, beautiful. And I guess that comes down to the teacher being one comfortable with asking, but also in tune with themselves enough to be able to um, be open to whatever the answer is. Um, 
because if you see it as taboo, if you're uncomfortable, if you're not open to it, and then you have a grieving student, it's going to be pretty hard to support them. So I guess this is just generally as well, like that's not specifically for teachers, Um, but how, how can people in general come to be more open with this topic, more understanding, maybe, especially even for people that haven't been through, I'm going to say like big griefy experiences in their life yet. Like they maybe little things. Um, how, how do you come to be more open with this topic so that you can support others? Get uncomfortable. It's not comfortable. And, you know, even me, as I, I talk about this every day, and there are still times where maybe a friend is grieving and I, I'm a bit unsure about what to say because you constantly second guess yourself. And grief is so individual that it is scary. And it is, um, you know, you, you do think, am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to put my foot in it? Do they believe this? Is this going to bring them comfort? Is this going to make them cry? And I think it's just getting... Um, comfortable with being that just in that discomfort and knowing that you don't have to be an expert and as long as what you say and what you do comes from a genuine place quite often it's received that way and if it isn't then you learn from that and you say okay that's not what helps this person I'm really sorry and then just keep going keep trying don't give up um whenever I go and speak to teachers I say I'm not here to make you experts I'm just here to empower you to know that you so that you know that you can have these conversations if they arise. And also it's okay if, if the conversation comes up and you don't feel equipped to, to have that conversation, acknowledge what the student has said or asked, and then refer them to someone who you know feels comfortable having that conversation. So they still get that listening ear without you feeling like, without you kind of dismissing it accidentally, just because you're, you're feeling uncomfortable or you, you don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, just keep trying, keep doing it. You'll, you'll get there in the end. We all do. Beautiful. And I know, you know, the schools that have you and get your PDs and get the support of you are so lucky, but I know that a lot of schools that wouldn't be a priority for them. You know, there's so many things that schools are focusing on and maybe grief education isn't at the top of their list. And I know you've done, you mentioned you're doing a diploma of grief counseling at the moment. You've done training in child bereavement support, youth mental health first aid. So lots of training with all of that training, all of your knowledge, all of your lived experiences, what do you believe should be mandatory personal and professional training for teachers? So like maybe before teachers even graduate their first few years on the job, what do you believe teachers need to learn? before they step into the class emotional literacy (laughs) like I think that's the biggest thing because that's what really when we talk about grief it comes down to is understanding emotions having the language around emotions um for ourselves because how can we expect to understand that and empathize with that in others if we can't understand it and empathize it within ourselves so emotional literacy understanding um that there are, I don't believe anyway, that there are good and bad emotions. I just think there are emotions and we're allowed to feel them all and and they can all coexist at once. So I could be, you know, really, really happy because for example, I bought my wedding dress the other day, really, really happy, but also a really, like, I don't know if I can, I won't swear, a really, (laughs) a really, a really shitty moment because my mom wasn't there. And so I had these like whirlwind of different emotions and that's okay. So I think teachers should have that and I think within the school and within just curriculums there needs to be some proactive grief education in there integrate it into your lessons science talk about life and death um story time and you've got to send kids home with books you have a story time find books that talk about themes of grief grief and loss that prepares people so that you're not just scrambling when it happens because so often it's like schools will engage with me because they say somebody has died and they only wait for that moment. Do something before that happens. So then you're prepared for when it happens. You don't have to wait until the crisis. Um, so that's a very long-winded answer, but that is what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess with that point about emotional literacy, it would be amazing if, you know, at university that's we were doing units on that emotional intelligence and emotional literacy. But also we shouldn't have to wait until then, as you said, if as children, 
we're learning about all of that throughout our school life, throughout high school. Then we go and do a course. And if we are working with other people, we get even more of that training. It would be so much more second nature than doing a unit at university, which would be amazing. But how much of that are we going to remember if it isn't embedded in what we do every day? Exactly. Understanding, having a bit of a understanding of how emotions impact different ages, because that's another big thing. I had a lot of teachers say to me, they were maybe mid forties and they'll turn around and say, my mom died last year. I understand how you feel. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, but actually experiencing the death of a parent at a young age is very different. Although grief is grief and it's all valid. It is very different and it actually impacts you on a developmental level as well and I think that's an important thing to recognize is that um through the ages and through the key stages it's the emotions that children feel completely different um so yeah that's that's also another thing that I think would be helpful yeah interesting that's not something that I've thought about before because as you said there's this assumption at least on my part of grief is grief but when you put it into that context, yeah, there's so much that surrounds losing a parent as a teenager compared to losing a parent in your 40s, which, of course, we're not here to compare yeah. who had it worse and, you know, all of those things. But that does make so much, so much sense yeah. um, to it consider. Has a, it has a huge impact. And even the way that you speak and respond about it, so um for young children so key stage one for example very concrete language things like passed away and gone to sleep they don't quite understand that they'll take that very literally and they'll be worried that if their parent their other parent or someone they love goes to sleep or if they go to sleep does that mean they're never going to come back you know so there's there's all of these things in it 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 has an impact on our relationships on our future education on our aspirations um so you know whilst as you say, it's all valid. There's no comparison. It does have a massive impact, even other losses. So parental divorce, um, maybe moving countries and um, changing schools, even all of these things have an impact on the development of the child. And depending on their environment and their circumstances will also depend on how they navigate those things. So I think just having a slight understanding of that can be, can be helpful in how you respond in the classroom. Yeah. I just had a thought. We've been speaking about grief, this whole conversation, obviously. How would you define grief? Because I'm just thinking there's a lot of people, we're speaking about emotional literacy and what we can comprehend and what we can understand. There might be people with a certain understanding of grief in terms of like grief is like mourning and it happens for a certain amount of time. And then you move on. I mean, not that anyone's thinking they're going to move on, but you know what I mean? How would you define grief? Well, firstly to that, grief and mourning, two separate things. So mourning is the outward expression. So we're wearing black, we're going to a funeral, those kinds of things, the kind of ritualistic things we do. And then grief is the internal um, response. So grief, I say it's very simple, just um, explanation is it's a natural, normal emotion to any significant loss. It's a natural response. So it's a physical response, an emotional response, a spiritual response. Um, it's a whole body thing and a whole world thing. It's not just someone's crying and feeling sad. Um, so yeah, a natural, normal response to any significant loss. Mm-hmm. And doesn't finish <laughs> at a oh, certain it's not point. Finished. Yes, no. Yeah, because because it, there, there is, I think, a bit of a notion of... Um, you know, a lot of people have heard of the five stages of grief. And um, this gives off the picture that there's five stages. And I, every time I talk about them, I always forget what they are, which is really bad. Um, but I always forget the order of them. Denial, anger, bargaining, um, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, I think. Um, it's always an unpart on the spot. Um, and a lot of people think then you move through those stages just like one, two, three, four, five, you're done. And that's not the case. First of all, five stages of grief were designed for people who were terminally ill themselves. And they were never designed to be seen as um, a tick list. 
you know, they were never seen to go in chronological order. It was just the way that she, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who created this, um, it was just a way that she found to be able to categorize things so that she could write the research up in a more methodological order, right? So um, there is no timeline. It's, it's something that is with you all the time. And I think, um, yeah, people think that after the funeral or after the first year, you're not gonna feel it anymore. And yes, you might not feel it as frequently or with as much um, harshness, but it is still there. And actually when it comes up in those moments, it feels just as heavy as the first day that you felt it. So no amount of time stops grief. And I actually think that's a good thing. It's, it's it, There's a quote that's been going around that's become quite famous of grief is love. And it's, it's just all of the love that you had for that person um, rolled up into one and that's what you feel and I think that that's true it's a reminder it's um it's the memories and it's happiness as well like it's not just sadness it's happiness it's laughter it's guilt it's jealousy it's it's all of these things it's not just one emotion it's just a rainbow of them mm. I think yeah that gives such a clearer picture of grief, especially for somebody who may be on the outside witnessing somebody else, because when we can classically think of grief, it's crying and sadness and maybe depression about a death like that. It's the very narrow, shallow view, but I think that's so encompassing to know that you're, you know, if, if you're the person who's grieving or you are around somebody who's grieving, it's going to be a full spectrum. It's not just going to be, they're sad for this amount of time. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. And something, a term that I learned from you as well was, uh, anticipatory grief. Yeah. So can you speak to that a little bit? Cause I don't think that's something we've really touched on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And just, just whilst you're saying, actually, I just mentioned another thing is that grief isn't an emotion, it's the response. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes we think that grief is the emotion, but it isn't. It's just a ter- like an umbrella term for all of the emotions that we feel in the response. So um, anticipatory grief is basically grief that you feel when you are expecting something. So using the example of my author, because we've spoken about him, we knew about a week before he died that he was going to die. And sometimes there's this, and even with my mom, we knew about a month or so before she died that she was going to die. And sometimes there's this like expectation that if you know someone's going to die, the grief that you feel is going to be less when they're gone. But they're two separate things. Um, knowing that someone's going to die and expecting it and anticipating it comes with its own grief and emotional response um, than when a person is actually gone. So yeah, that's what anticipatory grief is. It's really common. It's it's most people, unless it's sort of a, um, a sudden death, um, most people experience it. Um, mm. And yeah, it's, it's a hard one to navigate. There's a lot of a lot of guilt involved in anticipatory grief, knowing someone's gonna die, expecting it to happen, but they're still alive, talking about them as if they're going to die, planning funerals, all of that stuff when they're still here. It's quite a, um, a weird feeling and I'd forgotten what it was like until recently um, and it's quite confronting as well. So yeah, don't expect that just because people knew that someone was gonna die and just because they've experienced a form of grief in that lead up that they're not gonna grieve afterwards as well. Mm. I just think it's really important to name that because I dare say that there'll be people who listen to this podcast that that is something that they may be experiencing, but have confusion around because it's like, but, you know, using quotation marks here, but nothing's happened. So why do I feel this way? Or even in terms of schools, like it could be in terms of leaving a school or leaving like a certain child is leaving or whatever it is. And knowing that that's going to happen and your whole world's going to change that anticipation and the feelings that come with it. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that will, you know, when there's a name to something and there's language, it often helps to soften it because you don't feel like there's something wrong. It's yeah. like, oh, well, if it has a name, then it's happened to lots of people. So yeah, name it, name it, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So good. So is there anything in terms of grief education in schools, grief in general, anything that 
you feel like we haven't touched on or that you wanted to speak about within this conversation? Um, I think just saying, um, maybe giving some ideas of things that you can do in the classroom. So for example, um, as I've already mentioned, things like books are really good. There's loads of wonderful books out there. Um, the Invisible String, The Invisible Leash. So The Invisible Leash talks more about pets. Um, there's even ones sort of like three years old. So three to four years old, which is um, the Goodbye book that talks about a fish that's lost its fish friend um so there's lots of resources out there um one resource I want to mention is Field of Magic if you've got a child that um has experienced a bereavement then Field of Magic are Australian based charity and they provide camps and resources for kids um other things that you can do that are really helpful and this is probably more so for a bereavement is note the date in your diary so every year that date comes around, you know that that child might be feeling a little bit off. Um, or you know on the lead up, often the lead up is worse than the day itself. You know you can be aware of that, you can check in with that child. Um, making sure that the information is passed on during transitions. But then the biggest thing I would say, because teachers have big hearts and they take on so much of the pain themselves, is to make sure that you're doing things to care for you. So, um, if you're not in a place to to provide that support like that's that's okay and as I said it's okay to have those boundaries say to a child I, I I hear what you're saying and I really appreciate that you've come to speak to me would you be happy for me to share this with xyz teacher or maybe we can go and speak to this teacher together and then that way that child if that child really feels safe speaking to you and sharing with you and um, that you don't feel able to take that on then at least you're present with them whilst they share with somebody else um i would also say um yeah speaking to your sort of like support team that you have at school it can be really really helpful but if you can build that language within the classroom already around expressing your emotions checking in with the children one thing I like to do is um say to teachers have sort of like a feelings wall that children can check in every morning and every day and even teenagers can do this like they will do it probably maybe they'll do it um but you can have like their name and they just put their name in happy sad angry tired whatever it is and then that also makes them feel more comfortable about speaking about it um teenagers more so are a little bit more they don't want to share in front of everyone else. They want to conform. They don't want to be seen as different. So having like a timeout word for them that they can just like say to you and you know that they can leave the classroom for five minutes and then it's not so obvious for everybody else. Um, that can be good as well. Just like reeling things off here. Um, but yeah, I, I, anything that people aren't sure about, if there's any like specific situations happening, I'm more than happy for people to reach out. And I'm always there to give advice I want it to be accessible I don't want it to be like a barrier so people can reach out if they've got specific things yeah and they are such amazing suggestions I love the one what's so great is when you spoke about the emotions wall something that many many like thousands of um Australian schools do is something called zones of regulation um and so you know I had in when I was teaching full-time in my classrooms, all their names with the zones. And in the morning, they put themselves where they are yeah. and they can change it throughout the day. And it's it's that prompt for me to be like, oh, so-and-so moved from green to yellow. Like what triggered that? Do they need help? And so, yeah, that's quite common and normalized now, which yeah. is a really good thing. Um, so I'll make sure to put all of those recommendations in the show notes. But one um that would be really good to mention. I know you support um, the Motherless Daughters Fund. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Motherless Daughters are a wonderful organisation um, that support women who have lost mothers. So um, they are aged 18 plus just because of their events and a lot of it's sort of, yeah, not appropriate for the younger years. Um, but they do um, a high tea every year, the weekend before Mother's Day. So it just gives people the opportunity to come together of all ages who have of lost a mom and um for me it's been wonderful i've met a wonderful group of girls that you can just speak freely with and it's not necessarily about finding people you can constantly talk about grief and death with but it's just knowing that if you are having a bad day there's no judgment or expectation there and there's just like a silent understanding and you you all know that you've all experienced this this 
big thing that's happened to you. Um, so yeah, they do events and they do a lot of advocacy work. They're doing a lot of research around the impacts of mother loss on um, women in particular. Um, so yeah, if you're a teacher listening to this and you've lost a mom, then they're a wonderful resource. They're across all of Australia. Um, lovely girls, Danny and Eloise, and you're always welcome to reach out to them. I'm sure they won't mind me saying. Um, but yeah, really, really great resource if you just want that community. Beautiful. Okay. And with that, <laughs> are you ready for the rapid fire questions or as I like to call it, the plenary? I um, think I'm ready. I think. <laughs> <laughs> all right. First question is coffee or tea? Tea. What's your zodiac sign? Cancer. Oh, if you were appointed as the Minister for Education tomorrow, what's one thing you would change? Proactive grief education in the curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> Straight away. Um, what's your favorite thing about being you? My experience. Mm, I love that answer. What does the term teaching with soul mean to you? Teaching from the heart, I think, yeah. <laughs> and finally, what's one way that myself and the listeners can fill your bucket today? Um, do one thing that makes you uncomfortable. Ooh, I like that one. I did I not know about it, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you all want to share with us, please do tag us and let us know what made you uncomfortable. I dare say a lot of people probably won't want to share and just keep that to themselves, but that is a great answer. I love that. Okay. So for people who have listened to this conversation and they're like, oh my gosh, I need more of this learning. I need more of Katrina in my life, or I want to chat to my you know, leadership team or my principal about getting her to support our school. Where can people find you? Instagram. It's a good one and um, it's probably where I'm most active. So Grow With Grief HQ is the handle. And um, I've also got a website, so you can contact me through that or you can just pop me an email or give me a call. I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Um, I'm pretty open to receiving any message. Um, and, you know, I've got a lot of free resources as well. So if you just need me to pop anything across, I'm also happy to do that. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on Teaching with Soul. I have loved it and learnt so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teaching with Soul. If you gained value from today's episode and want to learn more about how to truly lead a more mindful, calm and balanced life as a teacher, Head to the show notes to find out more about teacher wellness coaching and how we can work together. And before you go, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a five-star review on your platform of choice. This will help Teaching with Soul reach even more educators around the globe and assist me on my mission of supporting teachers, just like you, to remember their brilliance, own their worth and cultivate calm. Until next episode, big love, beautiful teacher.